You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Starting through Romans, Paul's largely been teaching doctrine. He's been arguing a case kind of uh, in, in this uh, logical series uh, he's been unfolding this doctrine of what we call justification. And it's an important doctrine. In fact, it might be the important doctrine. That's what Martin Luther said. It's a big deal. It is how you and I can be made right before God. That's, what, that's the case he's been arguing. But today's passage is a little bit different. See, today, in Romans 5, Paul, he's not, he's not mostly concerned with adding more doctrine and stacking more doctrine on top of what we already have. What he's most interested in, what he's most concerned with, is making sure that doctrine, that doctrine of justification, it travels. Making sure it goes on a journey. And it's the longest journey that exists on earth. It's that 12-inch journey from your head to your heart. That's what Paul's talking about today. He wants you to know that justification, it's for real life. It's not just dry doctrine. It's not just facts you know with your head. In fact, he's going to argue justification. You know what it is? It is the deepest need of your soul. And it's always there. It's always present. It's with you right now. It's going to be with you when you walk through those doors. And it'll be right there again when you wake up again Monday morning. It's what motivates. It's what motivates all of your searching, your striving, your proving, your achieving, your seeking, your working. You want to know why you struggle with shame, with hopelessness, with loneliness? You want to know why you feel estranged from God and God can feel so distant sometimes? Paul's going to say it's because justification hasn't traveled that journey into your heart. And on the other hand, you want to be a joyful person? You want to grow as a person? You want to feel deeply loved? It it only comes as justification enters your heart. So with that said, church, let's stand once again. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, and we're going to read this whole passage, Romans 5, 1 through 11, and then we'll talk about it. Beginning in verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom 
we have now received reconciliation. You may be seated. So Paul begins with this big word, therefore, means he's linking something that's come before to what he's about to say. Well, what's he linking? What's, what's the before? It's everything. It's the full first four chapters of Romans. All the doctrine that he's been arguing and teaching so far, the doctrine of justification. He's saying the whole weight of everything I've just said is sitting on that word therefore and what comes after it. This is the implications of it. He says it's all about justification. Therefore, since we have been justified, so let's review a little bit. What is justification? If you weren't here the past couple weeks, I encourage you, go listen to the podcast. Go uh, review it. There are some, great, some of the greatest verses in all of Scripture we've covered. Well, let's review it a little bit. Uh, maybe if you're like me, I kind of grew up in a youth group and heard justification means it's just as if I never sinned. Anyone else ever heard that? That's what justification is? And that's great. It's easy to remember. It's true partially. Partially true, but it's incomplete. See, here's what justification is. Justification means that you are found guilty, but you're declared righteous. See, there's two parts of it. You're found guilty. That's the first three and a half chapters of Romans. We, we call September our September of sin because it took us all September to go through everything Paul talked about our sin. Oh, we're guilty. In fact, he says, if, if we were in a courtroom with your life, we're going to be here a long time covering all the evidence of how guilty you are. And yet, you're declared righteous. And that's chapters 3 and 4 of Romans. Because the payment of your sin has been made, and, and Christ's perfect obedience, his perfect righteousness was wrapped up in a little gift and just given to you. It's just yours as a gift. You have it. So sin's paid for and perfect righteousness is yours. And men and women, that's way more miraculous. It's way more miraculous than, oh, it's just as if I've never sinned. No, no, no. You were found guilty, but then you were declared righteous. You know what that means? That means you are a sinner and you are loved and accepted by God all at the same time. That's what that means. And so the question for us is, what is that truth? That truth of justification, what does it do to someone when they don't just understand it, but when it takes root in their hearts? Paul's going to give us four things. Here's what justification, that truth does to us. The first one is this. Justification gives us peace. Justification, through justification, we have peace with God. Now, peace in this context, in this setting, it means harmony with God. It's a, it's a relational word, okay? It's not, it's not a feeling. It's not a feeling of serenity. Paul's not picturing us leaving our hot yoga classes and our massages and meditation and feeling so at peace, okay? It's a peace you have, not a peace you feel. That's what he's describing. See, two things happen with our relationship with God because of a sin. Number one is we have claimed a competing kingdom. So when you sin, you say, okay, when it comes to my decisions, my money, my time, my words, my desires, we're going to do things my way. The problem is God's already claimed that territory. And so what do you have when you have two kingdoms claiming the same territory? You're at war. That's what it is. You are at war with God. The second thing is this. There's a judgment against you. And so it's not necessarily, it's not that God is vengeful. It's not that he's getting back at you. It's that we have broken the law, and the law demands a penalty. It's as simple as that. So what Paul says here, 
We have peace with God. He's saying that broken relationship has been healed. It's an end to the war. It's a clearing of all charges. And has it come to us through our Lord Jesus Christ? It's what he's been arguing all along. This peace can only be received. It can't be achieved. You can't do it. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. And we know this. You know this in your life. The more you try to achieve peace, the less peace you have. You know this every time you wake up at 2 in the morning with some turmoil in your life or, or something going on. And so you wake up and you, and you try to think through it. You try to obsess over it. You try to think it out and examine all the angles or think about all the things you wish you would have said. You're trying to work for peace. And then, of course, you turn right back around and have the best night's sleep you've ever had, right? No. That's not how it works, is it? That just leads to less and less peace. The more we work for peace, the more it evades us. But if you've been justified, you already have peace with God. You're accepted. You're loved. God is for you. You're okay with Him. You know what that means? That means there's nothing left to fix. You can lay down and go back to sleep. There's nothing left for you to fix. It's all been done. You have peace with God. Second thing he tells us is it gives us access. It gives us access to God, justification does. And so I've heard this happens. I've never experienced personally, but I hear sometimes you go to a concert or something like that. If you're a really important person, you get a VIP pass or a backstage pass. And you can, you know, there's a certain door nobody else has access to, but you can throw it, show that pass, throw it up, and you now have access where other people don't. Again, I hear these types of things happen. Never experienced it myself. You know what's interesting, though? This word access, it actually means a little more than that. The word has a sense of bringing near, even to the point of embrace. It's, it's embracing someone. It's that kind of close access. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was watching a college football game on a Saturday, as I'm prone to do. And I, for the life of me, I cannot remember, y'all, what game that it was. But it's one of these, it's a big game, a uh, big win, and you've seen what happens right after the game. It's just chaos on the field. But the TV, sh- the channel that it's on, they've got to interview the winning coach. And this is just a flood. It's a sea of people. And of course, everyone wants to talk to the coach in that moment. And so they run down there. They've got the cameraman. They've got the reporter. But then they've got some other security guys. And they, they grab the coach by the arm. And they pull him over to the reporter. And they've got to get a clean uh, camera angle, a clean camera shot. And they've got to have a few minutes where just that reporter has access, access to that coach and nobody else does. And so they kind of form a little circle around him. They keep everybody back so nobody else can interrupt the coach. Nobody can get in the camera. And this is what I'm watching unfold. Same old thing that's happened over and over again. I've seen it a hundred times, except this time something different happened. Somebody, would you believe it, ran straight in the middle of that camera angle and interrupted that interview. More than that, she jumped right into that coach's arms. It was that coach's little girl. And there she stayed in his arms, in the middle of that camera for the entire interview. Men and women, that's access. That's the kind of access you have with God. And not for a little bit, not temporarily. He says we stand there. That means we remain there. So you don't jump in and out based on your performance or how many quiet times you've had or how religious you're doing or how much you've sinned or how little you've sinned. You stand there and you remain there regardless of your circumstances, regardless of how you feel. You know, it's interesting. When that interview was over, the reporter left. Every, you know, other players, other 
people would walk up to that coach, hey, good job, say a couple things to him, and then they would leave. Everybody else would come and go, not that little girl. He stayed in that coach's arms the entire time, and he walked with her off the field. You stay there. You remain there. And the only reason you can stay and remain there is because it's all grace. It's based on grace. So even when you think you blew it, even when you think this is it, God's finally going to give up to me. He's finally going to kick me to the curb. He says, no, no, no. You didn't earn your way here, so you're going to stay here. He says, stay put. You always have access here. The third thing Paul says justification gives us is it gives us joy. He says twice, we rejoice. We can rejoice in God. He really says we can rejoice in God in two things. The first time he says we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Don't miss this word hope. This word hope is a big word that we undersell a lot of times. It, it means strong conviction. It means to feel something deeply down in your bones. So what he's picturing here, it's not a fleeting joy. It's not a vague sense of joy. It is an overwhelming, deeply felt joy. In what? It is in the glory of God. That's kind of a catch-all. It means everything about the reality of God, all of His wonder, all of His work, all that He is, all that He does, you can rejoice in. So, okay, to follow the logic of the verse, here's how He's saying justification matters to you today. Here's how it impacts your life. He says, okay, the more justification travels into your heart, it causes us to experience peace with Him, access to Him. The more that happens then, the more deeply you're going to feel about God. You feel deeply the wonder of God. You feel a deep sense of rejoicing in who He is. That's how it plays out. In fact, this sense of joy can be so deep that it defies all human understanding. Look, what, look at what he says next in verse 3 and 4. He says, we can rejoice in our sufferings. What? You can have this deep conviction of joy in who God is in the midst of your darkest experience in life. That's what he says. Justification, when it comes into our hearts, it revolutionizes suffering. It brings a whole new way to experience life. Now, I need to give you two quick qualifications because it can be easy to misunderstand what he's saying. So, First, he's not saying we rejoice about our suffering. I'm just so happy that I'm in pain right now. No, no, no. You know why we don't do that? Because we're not crazy. That would be crazy, right? More than that, y'all, the the Bible is clear. It's the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Death is an enemy. We don't rejoice over death. We don't don't rejoice about evil. We don't rejoice about pain or or for the suffering. No, no, no. God, God, God hates the pain and the troubles in this life, and one day he will do away with them. And so we should hate them too. The other thing he's not talking about, he's not talking about wrath. He's not talking about punishment. You know why? Because if you've been justified, all God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. That cup was emptied. There's none left. And so he's not talking about punishment here. He's simply talking about the reality that we all experience of living in a broken world. He says, when that comes, not if, but when that suffering comes, you know what it does in believer's life? It sets off a chain reaction. 
Almost think of it like a, a chemical reaction where, where two things uh, interact and, and things start happening and it produces something brand new, something that wasn't there before. It produces endurance. Endurance, now, it's not just grin and bear it. It's not just suck it up, buttercup. It's a powerful word. In fact, elsewhere in Scripture, it's, it's a characteristic of God. He will endure for all eternity, right? The picture from the word, it's literally resistance to pressure. It's really a bearing up under something, under a weight. And so the picture he's painting is, is as we, we get pressure from suffering, as we are pushed down upon, we are not crushed underneath it. We bear up underneath it. He's talking about a capacity to continue. It's a capacity to continue. And that's the exact opposite of our natural responses to suffering, isn't it? We really, when suffering comes, we have two natural responses, fight or flight. I'm going to avoid it or I'm going to fix it. Those are our strategies to deal with suffering, but they're both doomed strategies. They won't work because both depend ultimately on us in ways I can navigate the suffering in my life. God has a different, different strategy. God's strategy is you remain you stand while he works. And so you're confused, but you remain while he works. You have no idea what you're going to do, but you remain while he works. You feel like you're failing miserably, but you remain while he works. You wish you could be anywhere else on earth, but you remain while he works. You're grimacing, you're crying from the pain, but you remain while he works. Why on earth would someone do that? Why wouldn't they fight it or run away from it? Well, he says in verse 8, because justification in those moments tells your heart, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were helpless and could not save yourself, he worked to save you. He did it all when you couldn't. So therefore, you can trust him. You can trust him. You can remain while he works. And as you remain, as you endure, it also produces character, he says in verse 4. Now, character, it means, uh, it means testedness. It's, it's a sense of a confidence that comes from having been through an experience before. And so you may think of it as poise. You know, this happens in the Super Bowl or some championship game every once in a while. You have two teams, and one of the teams, it's like their 10th year in a row to be in the championship, and this other team has never been there before. You've seen this, and you know, you almost know what's going to happen before it unfolds. The, the new team, they're making mistakes, they commit penalties. The moment is just too big for them. Not the team that's been there before. They have poise. Why? Well, they've been there before. They have that character. They have that testedness. But notice, there's something very important to notice here. It's not character that you currently possess when the suffering begins. You don't have it when the suffering comes. It's new character. It is new character that God produces in you. And that means, listen, suffering is not a character test. It's not. It, that would be you working to prove yourself. That would be, you know, you flashing your character backstage past to get you access to God to say, see, I proved myself. I had the character for it. No, 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 no. Suffering isn't a character test. Suffering is a character producer. See, 
we already have the access. We already remain with Him, and as we remain with Him, He produces the character in our lives that wasn't there before. You know what else He produces? More hope. He says in verse 5, it's the same hope from verse 2, only there's more of it now. You started out with hope, and by the time this chain reaction is done, you have more. And this is why he says, this hope doesn't shame us, it doesn't disappoint us, just the opposite. The effects of justification, you see, they're not diminished by suffering, they're not threatened by suffering, they're not even impeded by suffering, they're enlarged by it. Justification, it it comes in and overrides the suffering going on in your life, and it masters it to change your life. I want to to be careful. I don't want to minimize the pain we experience. We all, many of us experience very painful, tragic things, things we would never want to repeat, things we would never wish on anyone else. And in these these passages, these verses, they don't give us all the answers that we want about why bad things happen to us. In fact, I'm convinced we'll, we'll never know the full reason behind many of the tragic things we experience, at least not on this side of heaven. The fact is, in this life, you may never know two reasons for the suffering you're going through. But Paul is saying here today, you can always know one. You can always know at least one. He is overriding it to change your life. When pain comes in your life, even when it hits you like a freight train, and the best you can do is stay in it, you can know God can use it to let you experience Him in ways you never have before. Listen, I know it sounds crazy. It does, especially if you've never seen God work in your life this way. It sounds crazy, and yet, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. From believers, people who have been justified and know God and are walking with Him, who have endured and suffered things that I never have and I can never dream of. But you talk to them over and over again, and they say the same thing. I hear the same thing over and over and over again. Really, it's two things. I hear two things. Number one, I never want to go through that again. But number two, I thank God for it. Most, of them, most people who've gone through this reaction, gone through this process, at the end, they'll, they'll say, you know what? This time of suffering is where I shifted from hearing about God with my head and knowing Him in my heart. In fact, they'll say that, that 12-inch journey from my head to my heart, it happened through suffering. Finally, Paul tells us one more impact of justification in your heart. Justification gives us love. It gives us love. Paul has not said the word love so far in the book of Romans. He waits till chapter 5 to mention God's love, and then he repeats it. It's almost like he's saying, you know what? I've spent four chapters preparing you so you're finally ready for me to talk about God's love to you. Because there's two ways we can experience God's love. One is subjective. I feel it. I experience it. One is objective. It's, it's, it's a love I know whether I feel it in the moment or not. I, I can know it as a fact. 
The first one is verse 5. It's the love we experience. He says, His love is poured out on us by the Holy Spirit. And that word poured is exactly what it means. It's not sprinkled. It's not just a dash. It is a tsunami of God's love that the Holy Spirit pours out on us. Y'all remember a while back when everybody was doing the ice bucket challenge? Somehow I managed to avoid all that, thankfully. But man, you pull up Facebook or whatever, and just it was nothing but videos of people getting just huge buckets of water. I mean, it would take two or three people to grab these buckets. They were so heavy of water and just lift it up enough to pour it on the person. And then for a moment, the person like disappeared. There was so much water. For a split second, you couldn't even see the person. That's the picture here. He pours his love on us like that through the Holy Spirit. And so he says it replaces shame in our heart. That's what it does. You know, guilt and shame are a little different. Guilt is about us. Shame is about others. Shame is a fear. Well, it's more than a fear. It is a certainty of rejection. If others knew this about me, surely they'll reject me. So think of shame like this. Think of shame as a, a smoldering fire, some, some smoldering coals in your heart, and the Holy Spirit comes and just pours a huge bucket of God's love on your heart and douses that fire. Now, the second proof of God's love, the second way we experience God's love is objective. It comes whether I feel it in the moment or not. It is a historical fact. It is something you can know no matter what else is going on in your life, no matter how much you feel it or you don't. You can know it through this. You can know he died for you. There's always historical evidence for how much God loves you because he died for you. When did he do that? While you were a sinner. He uses three words to describe us. Weak, ungodly sinners. That's who we are in verse 6 through 8. Weak, ungodly sinners. And while we were that, he died for us. And so he didn't wait for you to change to love you. He loved you so that you could change. That's what happens when justification takes root in our hearts. You get peace with him. You get access to him. You get joy in him. You get love from him. And so if you're like me at this point, I kind of stop and ask, okay, but what do I do? How do I get that to happen? How, how do I muster up some, some of that love and peace and, and joy you're talking about? You know, I mean, that, that sounds great. I believe it. But still, what do I do? How do we get that justification to make that journey to give us? Because I want the peace. I want the access. I want the joy. I want the love. Well, if I was selling a book right now, this is the point where I'd give you five spiritual secrets for unlocking justification. You know, if you diligently do these five things every day, in fact, I will sell the journals in the back too, so you can be sure and track your progress, and we'll put a thermometer up and track how you're doing. And if you maintain these and you do these five things, then you will experience justification. But remember, (laughs) Paul's talking about a justification you receive, not one you achieve. Or maybe I could try this. Maybe I could try to unlock some sort of new hidden meaning. I could could show you this new hidden meaning that I discovered in the Bible that's never been phrased this way. It's never been taught this way. 
And so if we, we all study the spiritual secret of Romans, then we'll experience justification. But, but again, remember, Paul is talking about the same justification he's been talking about for two chapters now. It's the same information. So what do we do? If it's not some new strategy we need, if it's not some spiritual secret knowledge we need, what do we do? Well, it's like this. On January 13th, 1982, many of you may remember this. I personally wasn't born yet. Flight 90 out of Washington, D.C., as it was taking off, it crashed. In fact, it crashed into an interstate bridge, and then it fell into the frozen Potomac River. There were 79 people on board that plane. Five made it out of the plane. Those five survivors sat floating in the frozen Potomac River, clinging only to the tail of the plane. You can imagine this busy interstate, busy city, and very quickly crowds gathered all around. Thousands of people, as a matter of fact, were gathered around watching them. But the crowd was helpless to save them. There's nothing they could do. In fact, one survivor they interviewed later, he, he said, in that moment, I was thinking, are you kidding me? I survived the plane crash, and now I'm going to freeze to death out here with 10,000 people watching. A man named Roger Olean, he saw the wreck as he was driving home from work, and he saw five people out there in the water crying for help. And so he got out of his car, and he said, he said the screams were deafening. He said the, the screams were echoing off the water and the ice so that it sounded like 500 people were screaming. All I heard was screaming, he said. He said, I never stopped running. From the time I left my car until I hit the river, I never stopped running. He didn't stop to take off uh, his glasses. He didn't stop to take off his boots. He didn't stop to take his keys out of his pockets. He just jumped in. When he jumped in, he said, the water didn't feel cold. It felt like electric shock. The river was filled with these huge chunks of ice, and, and I would get exhausted, and so I tried to climb on a piece of ice, but as soon as I put my weight on it, the ice would flip over and just dump me right back into the river. But he tried. He stayed out there as long as he could. You know how many people Roger Olean saved that day? Zero. Nobody. Not literally, at least. There was no way for him to reach those people. And if he, even if he got out there, he had no way to get them back in. And this was obvious to everyone else. So afterwards, they asked him, why'd you do it? You knew you couldn't save those people. Why did you jump in? And listen to what he said. He said, they needed to see someone jumping in to save them. Those people needed to know someone was coming. Later, the survivors, they were finally saved by a helicopter. But you know what? When they were interviewed... Asked how they held on for so long in that frozen river. They didn't talk about the helicopter. They talked about Roger Olean. They said, watching him jump in to save us, that's what gave us hope. That's what allowed us to keep going. As we were clinging to life, as hypothermia was setting in, that's what they needed. They, they didn't need some new swimming technique. They didn't need a, a refresher course on the plane safety pamphlet. They needed to see with their own eyes someone jumping in to save them. You want to get justification to travel into your heart? Every day of your life, make your heart watch Jesus jumping in to save you. 
by the people you interact with, through his word, through prayer, through worship, through serving. You tell your heart every day, look, there's Jesus jumping in to save you. And then watch the difference justification makes. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.